Hey, it's Miss Rhode Island 2015, Allie Curtis, and you're listening to Life After the Crown with Tim Dialdo. Hey everybody, welcome to the Life After the Crown podcast, where each episode I bring you useful interviews with former pageant contestants, title holders, and women of influence who are now succeeding across many different industries in the real world. My name is Tim Tialdo, lifestyle entrepreneur, pageant host, author, and quite honestly, somebody who just wants to help you become a better person overall. Now, if pageant life is over for you, or it soon could be, and you're wondering, well, what do I do now, or what's next? This podcast is designed to help make the transition to real life and the school of hard knocks a little bit easier for you to handle. So if this is your first time listening, thanks for tuning in. We're glad you're with us today. Let's get started. My guest today was crowned Miss Rhode Island 2015 and was named a Quality of Life Award finalist at Miss America 2016 for her platform, Leading Ladies Equipping Young Women with the Skills to Lead. She has been a featured speaker at various national events, including Running Start's Young Women's Political Leadership Summit. She was honored at the 10th Annual Young Women to Watch Awards and was named a 2018 Leading Woman of Distinction by the Girl Scouts of Southeastern New England. She continues her platform work as a speaker at high schools, universities, and has even given a TEDx talk titled Leading Ladies, Why Representation Matters. She is a 2014 graduate of Syracuse University and holds a Master of Public Affairs from Brown University and a Master of Science in Administration of Justice and Homeland Security from Sal Virginia University. In March 2017, she enlisted in the Rhode Island Army National Guard and currently works full-time as a public affairs specialist. What a dynamic young woman. Allie Curtis, I can tell you're a woman who leads other women. So with a resume like that, I mean, we have plenty to talk about. So I'd like to take it chronologically, if we could, and kind of start with your journey to competing in pageants. Now, I know you grew up in Pensacola, Florida, but that you ended up obviously competing in Rhode Island. So where did the pageant bug begin for you and kind of what was the motivation? I myself have lived in seven states and Washington, D.C., So I actually started competing in the National American Miss Program in California when I was 14 years old. And competing in pageants was a great way for me to make connections and really build a network, especially when I was moving. So moving from California to Rhode Island, going to college in New York, no matter where I went, I had a community through pageantry. And that has continued on. And it's definitely why I have such a broad community these days and going to Rhode Island and not having been to high school or having attended school here. That's really where I started to kind of find my own home here. And um, it's one of the reasons I I still stay here and why I love it so much. Well, I read that you had uh, a few titles before Miss Rhode Island. Can you talk about your your previous pageant journey before that? Certainly. So I had actually competed with National American Miss many, many years and had been first runner-up in the state pageant and the national pageant a handful of times. And I ended up winning the National All-American Miss Team title in 2010. And that was a big lesson for me in resilience and persistence. (laughs) And then I aged out of the National American Miss program. And the next step for me was to enter a local in Miss America. And I competed in the Miss Upstate New York pageant and won that. And ended up competing for Miss New York and then, of course, rolled into Miss Rhode Island. So what was your hope after winning Miss Rhode Island? I mean, did you see the crown as, as, I guess, a vehicle to continue to spread your leading lady's message? Or did you have other aspirations in the pageant world? I continued competing in pageants after Miss Rhode Island. But 
um, looking at Miss Rhode Island holistically, it was more so I have this goal in terms of what I'm doing with my platform. I have several goals in terms of what I'm doing with my education, and this is certainly a vehicle to get me to those places. Um, I graduated from Salve Regina University without paying anything. I had a full tuition scholarship after I had won Miss Rhode Island, and I also was able to finish my master's at Brown, which I had started actually right after I won Miss Rhode Island, and um, they certainly helped me with some of the debt that came along with going to Brown. And being Miss Rhode Island opened a lot of doors beyond Miss America. I think sometimes uh, you, you get this high when you win your state pageant and you're preparing to go to Miss America, and then after Miss America, there's kind of this weird, okay, so what next? And I'd say really the highlight of my year happened later on, and um, that was the work I was doing with my platform, and that has definitely given me momentum moving forward. And now here we are uh, more than three years after I've won, and leading ladies is still something that's so crucial to what I do, and it's something that excites me, and it's a message that needs to be shared. And I'm very thankful I had Miss Rhode Island in the past, and whether or not pageants are still a part of my life, the advocacy that came along with that certainly is, and I think always will be. So uh, you had mentioned there that uh, you, you kind of came up with that whole the what's next question in your head, and I think a lot of girls go through that. I mean, when you were competing and, and kind of leading up to the Miss Rhode Island uh, title, were you already thinking about what was after, or that really didn't occur until you were done? So I always say have a plan A, B, C, and D, and just have a list of the things that you're going to do, especially when you're competing in a pageant. And I've given this advice to contestants after me. I've taken this advice and kind of channeled this into my own mentality when I'm competing as well. A pageant is just a pageant at the end of the day. And whether or not you walk away with the crown, the growth and the impact you have is inherently what's more important about the experience. So when I was getting ready to compete for Miss Rhode Island, I had other goals in the back of my mind. I knew I was getting ready to go to Brown. And part of my whole pageant experience from start to finish has been my education. So whether or not I was Miss Rhode Island, I was still checking the box on the education. I had started looking into joining the National Guard. And if I hadn't had the journey to Miss America, that's what I was going to do. And it's what I ended up doing anyways. So um, I was already looking down the road. What are the big hurdles and what are the big opportunities beyond Miss America? Of course, when I went to Miss America, I left my school bag packed and I knew I was coming back and was ready to start my classes for the fall. And even after Brown, I knew I would roll right on into my next master's program because of the scholarship I won. So that's something that's very important to me. And some advice that I would give to other contestants, always have the bigger picture in mind. And of course, enjoy the ride, savor the moment. Um, but pageantry is all about the bigger picture. Well, I can definitely tell that academics are a big part of your background. I see that you basically graduated from three different universities. I had a, a former guest on, uh, Chandra Larson, who was a Miss South Dakota. She actually graduated from two different universities, summa cum laude. Uh, but you have a bachelor's from Syracuse and then a master's of public affairs from Brown and a master's of science and administration from, uh, South Virginia. So, I mean, three universities, that seems like a lot of time that you've accomplished quite a bit in. I'm definitely proud that I was able to say I've done all of those things by the time I was 25, but 
of course, being in a position of leadership and being in a place where I'm inspiring future leaders, uh, leadership is intrinsically linked to your ability to continuously learn. And learning is something that will always be a part of my life, especially with my own future ambitions. So I actually have been attending my local community college, Community College of Rhode Island, and keeping up with my education. And uh, people think I'm crazy because I already have achieved a level of education that a lot of people will stop at, call it a day, but it's important for me to continue on going. And my goal eventually is to attain my PhD and hopefully teach. Well, I have no doubt you're definitely going to get there. And I certainly want to talk about your your career aspirations coming up here. But before we move on from the pageants, as a former Miss America competitor, I have to ask you, how do you feel about the whole swimsuit issue going on right now? So I loved swimsuit. And for many years, I shied away from the Miss America organization because I didn't think I was swimsuit ready or I didn't think I was talented enough. When in reality, uh, I definitely had the talent down and the talent that I had competed with all those years, I had been performing for years prior to my entry. Um, and then swimsuit was the other hurdle for me. And once I got over the initial hump of actually putting myself out there and competing in swimsuit, I loved it. And it was something that empowered me. It's something that definitely changed my perspective on lifestyle and fitness and changed how I actually act upon those things every day of my life. And it's something I'll miss. I understand the reservations about the swimsuit and I understand the critiques about the swimsuit, uh, but especially given my profession now, lifestyle and fitness is critical. And I'm very thankful that I did have the Miss America experience while swimsuit was a component of the competition. Well, in addition to feeling empowered, which it sounds like you definitely were, did you mind being judged for your physical appearance? I certainly didn't mind being judged for my physical appearance. And I always thought that it was more so how I portrayed myself as a confident woman uh, rather than just the overall physique. So um, being able to get on that stage and really feel the way I, I put myself out there, that was important to me. Now, you're very vocal about the fact that your mission is basically to get more women involved in political leadership. So with that in mind, did you have maybe a specific occurrence as a younger woman that caused you to be so passionate about making this happen for others? So I grew up in Washington, D.C. Well, partially grew up there. I, like I had mentioned before, I've lived all over the country, but my earliest childhood memories were in Washington, D.C., and looking at our political leaders. And I was very interested in American government and the way our political systems worked and how I could contribute to my country. And that was really where I got my political interest. And as I grew up, uh, I want to say I was around 15 years old when I started saying, you know what, I see myself in Congress. I want to run for Congress. And I remember having classmates and teachers and other people in my life say, wow, that is crazy. Uh, first of all, <laughs> Congress is kind of a dirty word. Uh, there's <laughs> so many negative connotations involved with being a member of Congress or being in politics. And beyond that, there's not really many women there, and it's not a very friendly place for women. And time and time again in my life, I've been told either, you know, they're not really a place for women or it's not a friendly place for women. And those are typically the places I want to be and the places I end up. So uh, I continued on with my political ambitions. I got to Syracuse and in my first week at Syracuse, I got involved with student government, and I started asking more questions about how many women are involved. When was our last student body female president? Because I went to our first meeting, I looked around the room, and there weren't other people who looked like me, and that was important to me. 
So I started getting involved with national organizations that were looking to change that. And I started making moves on my own college campus to change that, too. And that's where Leading Ladies started. You want to run for Congress, and that is awesome. And I think there's a lot of young ladies listening out there who are also they also have political aspirations. But but I got to ask you, in, in today's political climate, you know, getting in is one thing and, and wanting to obviously make a difference and, and certainly be a representative of the female population and, and representing in Congress. But the partisan politics today are so crazy and, you know, the disdain for each other, for, you know, I guess Democrat, Republican or whatever seems so nasty. Um, does it scare you to want to get in at this point? Well, women have always been consensus builders in terms of looking at Congress and who's reaching across the aisle. It's typically the women who are in Congress who are really working on bipartisanship. And I have worked with members and political figures from both sides of the aisle. And um, that is really something that's been unique to my own experience. Um, There are people I've worked with who I have agreed with in some capacities and not so much in others. And being able to sit down, have these difficult conversations and work through problems and see the other side is something that's inherently critical moving forward with where our country needs to be and what our political leaders need to be like. So, yes, it's scary, and yes, it's going to be difficult, but I know that I have a voice and a perspective that is also really, really needed in this time in our country, and I'm excited to be able to provide that at some point. Well, look, I know you're keeping really good company in terms of, you know, making a congressional run. Of course, you've got a couple of friends that we are mutual friends with, Mallory Hagan, who, of course, just made her, uh, just won her primary uh, there in Alabama as a Democrat. And then Antonia Okafor, who's running for the uh, NRA Board of Directors, you know, two girls who are obviously on, on separate sides of the aisle when it comes to, you know, probably political aspirations. But you girls all get along and obviously, you know, are empowering each other. So, you know, when do you think you'll make a congressional run? So right now, uh, well, I always said I would probably be a candidate by the time I'm 25. Uh, I'll be running for office. And as it shakes out. I am a candidate and I am running, although um, I am a officer candidate and I'm doing a lot of physical running for the United States Army. So um, I've had this kind of interesting career change um, and plot twist, if you will, in my political plans. But um, right now, my focus is on commissioning as a second lieutenant in the United States Army, uh, continuing on my career with the National Guard. And um My big interest in terms of public policy are really in homeland security and defense. And I know that my experience with the military that I'm currently having will be something that I can really draw from in the future. And um, it's, it's always important to see people who are making the rules, who have walked the walk and talked the talk. And um, I know my military experience will really play into that in the future. Well, yeah, I was going to ask you about, you know, the, the, the Army National Guard in regards to, you know, pursuing politics. How did that fit in? But now that totally makes sense that you say that. And uh, you're one of a couple of uh, pageant, former pageant girls who are uh, working uh, with the military. I believe Miss Maine USA from this year, I think her name is Marina Gray. Uh, she's also... Uh, serving our military. So, by the way, thank you for serving our country. I appreciate that. Tell me about how working as a public affairs specialist is kind of preparing you for that that congressional office. Well, working in public affairs, it has been a great thing for me, given my background um, between my education at Syracuse in the Newhouse School 
and of course my pageant experience, I'm always in the public. I'm always working with the public and um, we're crafting a message for an organization and we're putting our best forward. And those are things that are intrinsically linked to running a political campaign and, and really anything that I see myself doing in the future. So I'm lucky that I, I get to be in a place where I'm using my education and experience, um, but using it for an organization that I love. And I'm very happy with where I am right now. Well, everybody that I've had on here, whether they've won a national title, a state title, or they've never won a title at all, and they're just doing great things professionally, they always seem to have somebody that kind of ignited their passion for what they're doing, maybe an idol, so to speak. Do you have somebody right now that you look up to as a powerful leading lady out there that you're just saying, I hope I can be like her? Actually, the kind of spark that ignited my interest in the National Guard happened while I was putting together a program called Elect Her at Syracuse. And Elect Her is a national program that goes to college campuses and trains young women to run for office, whether it's in a student government position or in their community or for a run after they've graduated. And I was learning about the lack of young women in Congress and the few young women that we do have. And Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard is one of the women that I learned about, and she had a very unique and striking background. Uh, she had been the youngest state legislator in Hawaii, and she had also done several tours um, as a member of the Hawaii National Guard. And I started thinking, well, you know, I, she's someone who is enabling me to see myself in the halls of Congress, but now I also can look at her and see her as a role model in a different light, and that's through her service. So um, I started looking more into the National Guard and how that could play into my career. And here I am uh, several years after the fact. And to this day, when I think of leadership and someone who has really set the example, um, both what she's done in Washington, D.C. and what she's done in the United States Army, it's Congresswoman or Major Tulsi Gabbard who continues to be that example. And I admire her service and hope that I can live a career that lives up to hers. Well, I certainly think you're on the right track. Now, your platform, uh, which is well-established, by the way, is, is called Leading Ladies, and you encourage and support women with leadership ambition. So I guess from your standpoint, how do you identify what you would refer to as a potential leader? There are a lot of different facets um, that really shape a potential leader. And sometimes um, I, I, you know, I come across women who are not interested in politics or in leadership per se, but they are in a field where they are underrepresented and uh, they want to make a difference in that field. And being able to put yourself in a place where you don't see other people like yourself and provide that representation, that's a facet in which we look to build and develop leadership. There are some women who have been uh, you know, teased or called bossy um, or talked down to by other people in their lives um, who have kind of been deterred from being in a place of leadership. And that's another place where we can say, hey, you know what, you do have these capabilities. Bossy is a good thing. Um, being loud is a good thing. Ambition is not a dirty word. Let's harvest that. Let's really cultivate what you have here. Um, and then, of course, there are women who simply want to make a difference. And women are typically issue-driven when they do run for 
um, leadership positions or when they do run for public office. So sometimes you don't want to be in politics. You have no interest in being in some kind of office, but you really care about something or there there's been some kind of life circumstance that has led you to have a voice and have a perspective. And now you want to get out there and make that difference. Um, and that's absolutely needed too. So those are kind of the identifying factors of where we can really cultivate and develop leaders and help women become trailblazers in new places uh, that they haven't been before. So since your platform is named Leading Ladies, um, how would you define Leading Ladies? Because if you look out there, you know, today, just let's take the the current administration, for example, you've got, you know, Nikki Haley, who was the former South Carolina governor. You've got Ivanka Trump. You've got, you know, Michelle Obama and you've got Oprah Winfrey. You've got all kinds of people that could be defined as, quote unquote, a leading lady. But how do you define it? For me, when I look at Leading Ladies, I look at two things in particular, and one that is the inherent drive to want to make a positive difference, and two, it's courage. And one of the big things that I teach through my programming is do one thing a day that scares you. And of course, that is a famous Eleanor Roosevelt quote, and it's something that I live by and have internalized. And leadership can be scary, and being in a place where you have responsibility and are accountable can be scary. And you have to be able to step up and make decisions. And you have to be able to do things that other people shy away from. So I always say practice courage daily. And you can do that by looking at things that you might, you know, feel a gut instinct to shy away from. And that's usually where you should be. And that usually needs to be the move that you need to make. So what is the one thing you did today that scared you? Uh, I'd say one thing that I did today that scared me uh, is actually preparing my my next TED Talk. Um, I have a TED Talk that's on the horizon and it is on this very topic. And actually pitching the TED Talk is something that, you know, I had that gut feeling again, this scary, I might get rejected. But it's something that is important to me and it's the message I want to put out there. So that will be coming in the next couple of months. But I'm very excited to be able to talk about this topic and inspire other people to do the same thing. Well, sure. And let's talk about your TEDx talk that you've already given, which is called Leading Ladies, uh, Why Representation Matters. Now, I know for a fact, if you have given a TEDx talk, that you, your message is definitely being heard by influential people. So what do you hope that people are pulling away from that particular talk? So the last TED talk I gave was, um, of course, under the Leading Ladies brand. And it's why representation matters. And I talked about women in government the importance of women in technology and in business and why women really change the equation and having women at these tables making decisions is something that we should all strive for and it's something that will benefit all of us. Businesses are more profitable. Government is more effective. Women working in technology are able to add another piece to that puzzle, especially when we're looking at cybersecurity. It's all about perspective and coming at different problems from different angles. So my hope with that is that it continues to be heard, not only heard by women who know that they're needed um, and know that their voices need to be out there, um, but it's heard by everyone. And there are men, too, who are able to recognize that and even mentor women and help bring women into these spaces and um, be able to identify places where we do need more women and where they are being undervalued so we can flip that script and make a difference. Okay. So let me ask you this. So obviously, representation is a big deal. And, you know, 
being represented in Congress, more females would be fantastic. So let's say that you run for Congress and you do win and you get in. So now the representation is there. What are some of the things that you want to do, I guess, to help change the current political climate? Because it, it can't continue how it is. It's, it's going to self-destruct at some point. So how would you, you know, help the situation as it exists now? Being able to cultivate the relationships between people who are very different and people who are on totally opposite sides of the spectrum is so important. And uh, for me, having a level-headedness about the way I come at politics and the way I come at issues is important. But being able to continue on cultivating those relationships, bridging those gaps, bringing people together so we actually have common sense solutions, it, it's so simple and it's so, it should be so easy, but we don't see enough of those people in politics today. And again, that comes back to putting yourself out there and doing what's scary and doing things um, that you might not see yourself in otherwise, yes, I can look at the political climate today and say, wow, there are so many extremes. This is something I can easily shy away from because maybe my consensus building self doesn't belong here. Maybe I am too nice for this, or maybe this just isn't for me. But I, I know that people like me are needed. There will be people like me who come on in, and yes, we do need those people, and both sides, like I said before, I have people who are inherently different from myself, but they bring something different. They've lived a different life. They've walked a very different path. And our journeys um, shape our politics. And we need to respect each other. And um, I, I really know that this is something that I can provide beyond my own expertise and knowledge, uh, being able to bridge those gaps at the end of the day. So as a representative of your district, um, what are some of the things that you would run on at this point that you think need to be changed uh, for your particular district? So I actually have worked for my district representative, uh, Congressman Langevin, who is a phenomenal member of Congress and somebody who's so admirable and has such a career. But he works with a lot of security and defense issues. He has sat on the um, Homeland Security and Armed Forces Committees in Congress, which is what, of course, I hope to do. So, of course, the military is huge in Rhode Island. We have a large naval presence, um, and the defense industry is also huge here. And we have a lot of homeland security capabilities in terms of what we do with cybersecurity. So uh, having Rhode Island at the forefront of cybersecurity legislation and best practices is something that I would continue on with, and it's very much so why I've taken the angle I have with my education in terms of cyber and homeland security and continuing on with those issues and bringing my own knowledge and expertise to the table is what I would hope to do. Well, it sounds like you're definitely prepared for this congressional run. I'm excited for you. Um, I was looking at your website today and one of the big things that I see on there and your blog in particular, and I'm a huge fan of it, by the way, I love how you highlight other women leaders out there and you put the spotlight on them and not on yourself. Why did you start that? Again, this comes back to the fact that there are so many different leaders. Um, there are different styles of leadership. There are different histories and stories. And I have lived a very enriching life and I have a great deal of perspective from the things I've encountered, but that stops right there with me. There was so much more beyond who I am and what I bring to the table and being able to see that in other women and highlight the work they're doing. One helps put more women out there um, and give them a platform because it's so vital that we see an array of different women um, and hear their stories and voices. But two, getting those perspectives and, you know, being able for me too to sit down, hear these stories and, and gain a broader perspective from putting myself in someone else's shoes. And I love that I've been able to do this and want to continue to do that. And I, I'm excited knowing that 
there's definitely a lot of other women in pageantry and beyond uh, who will fall into the leading ladies blogosphere. And um, I look forward to continuing on the work that I've done with that. The political arena is definitely uh, one of those areas which I know a lot of competitors aspire to be. I, just in the last year, I've heard some that wanted to be attorney general, secretary of state, congressman, senator. When it comes to getting involved in politics, um, it, it's a neat aspiration to have, but it can be very difficult to figure out. So maybe if you had some advice for somebody who's in college right now, maybe they're majoring in political science, let's say, and they're interested in you know running for Congress or running for Senate, what's a, a good starting place for them? So I always I've talked about wanting to run for Congress myself, but I know that when the time comes, if I'm so called to do so, if there's another position, um, whether it's local government, state government, something that calls my name and seems to fit who I am and what I bring to the table, that is absolutely a go for me to take that and run with it. So I'd say the same thing to anyone else. Uh, maybe you have your sight set on running for governor one day or you see yourself in the United States Senate, but if something in your community comes up or a campaign or an issue comes up, where you can get behind that issue, take it and run with it. And that is the best way you can start getting involved. Um, like so many other things in life, you can plot out a plan for yourself, but there are so many other facets that play into that. Recently, I found myself in Washington, D.C. on a lobbying tour uh, for the ALS Association, and that's a cause that's been near and dear to my heart. And several years ago, I never would have thought that I'd be in D.C. lobbying for that cause, but it's something that really has come into my life and has been something that has been so important to me. So take the opportunities to get behind people who you feel strongly about and issues that you feel strongly about and everything else should fall into place. Do you have aspirations beyond Congress? Perhaps. Um, I think in terms of what I do with government, I see myself uh, continuing on in the military. So um, maybe there is a higher office beyond Congress. Maybe my, my calling and leadership is continuing both in a political capacity, but also as a reservist. I guess I want to kind of wrap all this up in a ball. So you've, you've had your pageant experience. You are in the Army National Guard. You're going to be running for Congress. You're doing a lot of big things. You've <laughs> went to three different universities and you're going for a PhD. Obviously, super accomplished. So I'd love to know how you've taken what you learned or experienced in the pageant world and have applied it to what you're doing today. One of the biggest lessons I have learned in pageantry has been resilience. And it's something the Army really hones in on with the soldiers is being able to be resilient and come back from loss and disappointment um, and, and carry on forward with your spirit. And being in pageants in my early career where I was consistently not placing or runner up again and again and again or just barely missing the crown, that's an experience that definitely you can't learn in a textbook. And I'm very thankful for that. And of course, it's given me a thick skin and, it, and it's taught me how to bounce back and persevere. And maybe it's going to be something so much bigger than a crown later on in my life. But I learned that in pageants and I'm forever grateful for that. And for the girls that you uh, you kind of hang out with and know well, uh, let's take Mallory Hagan, for example. She just went through a, a congressional primary and won that. And uh, I don't think she was expected to win and did. Um, what have you learned from watching her um, take her first run at it? Watching Mallory has been an inspiration. And I think we're going to see this with other young women, too. A lot of times people look at us and whether or not they like to admit it, uh, they see a woman and um, might have some reservations, might have some doubts, uh, or more so they look at us and see young women and think, okay, well, they're young, they lack experience, but nothing can take the place of drive 
and of course our own perspective, the unique perspective we have from our generation. And being able to see Mallory do this in a place where she has been doubted, once again, fuels my energy. And I'm sure fuels the energy of many other young women that we can do this. We're needed. We're here. And people are starting to recognize that. And it doesn't stop with the primaries. We're taking it all the way to the general and beyond. And then how about on the other side for Antonia, running for NRA Board of Directors? She goes on a lot of national talk shows. She certainly uh, faces her backlash no doubt, for you know, being involved with the NRA. What have you taken from her experience? So Antonia is someone I got to know through the Running Start Fellowship Program, which is one of the best experiences I've ever had, and it's something that I swear by. Running Start changes the lives of women just like pageants do. It's a nonpartisan nonprofit, and um, I would encourage any young women to look into this program. But Antonia always had the political drive and the aspirations. And in the time I have known her, she has built herself an empire. And she is so strong. She's so resilient. And she puts herself out there in a way that so many people try to take her down. And she continues to stand tall and continues to move forward with momentum. So I I think she's such a shining example as well as someone who firmly believes in her cause, has rallied people around it and really has built an empire for herself. And I I love that term, building an empire. It's something that we should be doing as influential women in pageants. And it's something that, you know, several women really, really have done well. And I think she's one of them. So um, Mallory and Antonia are people who I admire and commend for their work. And I'm very lucky to have in my circle. And um, it's one of the powers of pageantry. We really have a remarkable network. Well, look, I love what you're doing. I love your passion for it. I love your heart for it. Uh, You've accomplished so much already. You're doing TEDx talks. I mean, you're you're helping leading ladies. I mean, you're doing so much out there and now you're going to be running for Congress and you're also helping our country serving in the military. So uh, you're awesome. And thank you uh, again for serving our country. But too, good luck to you because I know that you're going to be that next inspiration for a lot of these girls as they watch you go through this. And I know you're probably going to eventually win if you don't the first time. And hey, who knows, you might win the first time. I know they're going to be looking up to Allie Curtis and saying, I want to be her. Well, thank you so much, Tim. That means a lot. Thanks for coming on today. I really appreciate the time and uh, certainly wish you good luck in your congressional run. Thank you. It's got some time, but I, uh, I appreciate it. And this is all just building up for the next thing and uh, gearing up as we plan ahead. That is today's episode. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And do me a favor, subscribe to the podcast. You can do so on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, the podcast app, Google Play, or you can just go to lifeafterthecrown.com. And if you're still involved in the pageant world and wondering, what does Life After the Crown look like for me? I encourage you to download my free Life After the Crown starter guide. It's a quick read. It's about 35 pages. It's a great blueprint for you on how to start planning now and not waiting until it's all over. To get it, just go to timtialdo.com slash starter guide. And for weekly podcast updates, just follow me on Instagram at timtialdo. Until next time, remember the words of 1 Timothy 4. Get the word out. Teach all these things. And don't let anyone put you down because you're young. Teach believers with your life, by word, by demeanor, by love, by faith, and by integrity. Make it a great week, everybody.